situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Travis Bond Pro Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my win. You had about as much of a chance of catching my last show than you did the Kings-Clippers game from the other day when uh, the two teams combined for an NBA record for the most points in a game, the second most in the history of the National Basketball Association. The Kings beating the Clippers 176-175 to in double overtime. Um, a breaking out party for former Laker Malik Monk, who led the Sacramento Kings with 45 points. Uh, De'Aaron Fox busted out 42 for the Kings as they uh, ended up holding on in what is what will forever be known as Russell Westbrook's debut with the Los Angeles Clippers. Kawhi Leonard scored 44. Russell was effective. Uh, I think he had something like 17 points, 14 assists. But it makes me think about the largest or most points ever scored in an NBA game, and that happened on December 13, 1983. That was the Detroit Pistons beating the Denver Nuggets 186-184 to in three overtimes. So these were the two highest scores by teams in the history of the NBA, 186-184. The third and fourth highest totals in a game came last night with the Sacramento Kings pulling out 176 and the Clippers 175. So no team in basketball history has scored more than the two teams in those particular games. Now, if you go back to 1983, that was Chuck Daly's first season as the head coach of the Detroit Pistons. He, uh, The team was led by Isaiah Thomas's 47 points. John Long scored 41 in that game for Detroit. Doug Moe was the Denver Nuggets head coach, and they had some really good teams in that decade as well, led by Kiki Vandeweghe's 51, Alex English's 47. And, you know, to me, I look back and I remember those Denver Nuggets teams, and, you know, there was so much talent in that decade that a team like Denver probably, if they were more lucky, let's say they played in a different decade, they could have won a couple championships. But I throw that out there. This is probably going to be the last show for a while that I don't spend a ton of time talking baseball. Um, we decided we're going to do the 30-1 to 1 MLB Countdown Previews, one show for each team. So if you're a fan of whatever team, you could just click my YouTube video or my podcast and listen to the 2023 preview of your favorite team. You might like it. You might not like it. The content, I promise, is going to be solid, but you might not like what I have to say about your favorite team. You know, if you like a team that I'm down on, and uh, spoiler alert, I'm not going to be too positive with my review and my expectations for the Oakland Athletics, then you know it's more about what that team has to do and really the extra effort that has to be done or maybe the extra luck that has to be on their side for them to overachieve what will be likely my poor expectations. But... I was thinking about a couple things that kind of frustrate me. And you hear about the NFL Combine coming out. And listen, one of the things that has made the National Football League the elite national pastime in the United States of America is because of how it's able to preserve itself 
over the course of 365 days. Really no other sport's able to do that. Now, football did have an offseason, but it almost doesn't have an offseason now. Now, if you look at the XFL, the USFL, the hope within those leagues is that they could become developmental leagues of the NFL and keep viewers, the NFL fan, engaged in a sport for what becomes its offseason. As soon as the Super Bowl is over, you start to think about uh, the NCAA tournament, maybe a little NBA, NHL, spring training baseball coming around the corner. But the NFL has done a good job marketing itself, particularly over the past 10 years. And one of the things that they've done is to televise and publicize the college combines when they start to look at the players and it comes to the next year's draft and obviously to build up towards the draft, free agency, and you know about the new league year starting on March 1st. So there really isn't a lot of dead time before the NFL is back in active again. And that's, that's really one of the reasons that it's become one the premier sport in the United States of America because attention span. Think, you know, John Q, whoever that's trying to um, engage themselves is only going to be engaged through so much. And the NFL has done so much with uh, the emphasis on a draft, the combine, free agency, and really spreading everything out, even down to the announcement of the schedules, which we kind of know already. You know, if you follow the league, you know you're going to play whatever, your six division games, you're going to play your uh, games against the one division in your league, the one division in the other league, and then there'll be a couple random games. But the hype that's been built up for that is really what makes the NFL the pastime that it is. So the first point is about the overemphasis on college quarterbacks. And this is something that has been a little bit of a problem for a while. Um, there's going to be the exceptions to the rule. You know, a team's going to take Patrick Mahomes, a team's going to take Josh Allen. And you're going to even look at the, the Eagles and take in Jalen Hurts for, you know, I think, what, what a second-round pick? And for him to become the star that he is. But I'm going to focus mostly on first-round draft picks when it comes to quarterbacks because, you know, there's a ton of talent in these drafts. And you're going to find out if you pay attention to the combine and you watch the speeds and agility and the things that these players could do. It's we, we make the league out to be more of a quarterback-centric league, but it really isn't. It's more centered around the overall talent and just the gifted athletes that are out there, not just to play skilled positions like receivers and cornerbacks and running backs, but tackles and guards and defensive ends and edge rushers. You're seeing really what we haven't seen ever in a league before in regards to talent, strength, and agility. But... The overemphasis, once again, is going to be on a quarterback position, and that's because the majority of the teams in the NFL are still dreaming for that next Joe Montana. They still think the next Tom Brady is going to exist in his draft like they did last draft and the draft before and the draft before. You could see this year as many as four quarterbacks going in the first round of this particular NFL draft, and that's too many. Not just because of the position, but because the overrating of the position is going to put players with first round expectations on their back and their shoulders that probably aren't ready for it. And you've seen it happen in the past. Kenny Pickett going in the first round last year. I thought it was a stretch. I understand why the Steelers did it. They haven't thought about drafting a quarterback for real 
since they took Ben Roethlisberger, what, you know, a zillion years ago? I get it. The connection between the Pittsburgh Panthers and the Pittsburgh Steelers, they practice, they train in the same facility. I get it. But he's not a first-round quarterback. And you're going to find out within the next couple of years whether Kenny Pickett can play in the NFL. He's young. He's going to get a little bit of a leash. But even that leash, ask Zach Wilson and the New York Football Jets, is that really there anymore? Did Josh Rosen get that leash when he was selected 10th overall by the Arizona Cardinals? Now, when it comes to draft day, the hope and excitement is, yes, let me go out there and take a Will Levis. Let me go take an Anthony Richardson in the first round, which, like I feel, I feel they may, may, may very well go because of the need for the teams that's out there. It's position scarcity that's forcing these players to be selected as opposed to being the best all around. And you want to, with a first-round pick in the NFL, take somebody that hopefully can be part of your franchise for the next 8 to 10 years. Hopefully get themselves past that rookie contract of five years and into a second contract to be that type of a contributor. And if you look at quarterbacks in the first round of the NFL over the course of the last decade or so, it hasn't really happened. Pickett, like I said, we'll figure him out over the next couple of years. Either he's going to make necessary adjustments and become the Steelers' next quarterback, or he's going to fall into the category of the other quarterbacks that may very well be out. Trevor Lawrence looks like he could be it for the Jacksonville Jaguars, taking one overall in 2021. Zach Wilson might not even be on the team with the Jets this year. Odds are he'll make the roster, but as, as we'll talk about in a little bit, He's probably going to be backing up somebody big, a big-time quarterback that is going to be starting over him unless that player gets hurt. Trey Lance, number three overall, that same draft with the San Francisco 49ers. We talked about the significance of that draft being the first time that, uh, I think one of only three times in the history of the National Football League, that three quarterbacks went one, two, three overall. You know what I'm saying? The overemphasis on quarterbacks in the NFL is, is a little bit crazy because I think the expectation is these quarterbacks are going to go out there and perform, and they don't. So in 1971, the Patriots took Jim Plunkett, the New Orleans Saints took Archie Manning, and the Houston Oilers took Dan Pastorini, one, two, and three. I think it was 19, what, 99? The Cleveland Browns took Tim Couch. The Philadelphia Eagles took Donovan McNabb. And the Cincinnati Bengals took Achilles Smith. Two of those three quarterbacks really didn't turn out to have big NFL careers. You're talking about Couch who was out of the league in just, what, five seasons? I mean, that's not a franchise quarterback. The problem is, is you're going to see, and it's no disrespect to Will Levis, no disrespect to Anthony Richardson, but there's a very good chance that you're going to see teams waste premier picks on quarterbacks almost predictably to have those guys out of the league within four or five years. And if you go back, you know, Mac Jones and Justin Fields and Tua and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, the 2021 draft was, was you, know, you know, pretty good when it came to quarterbacks. It looks like there's a good amount of them that are going to be part of the league for a long time. Obviously Burrow, obviously Herbert. Fields looks like he's going to survive 
the Chicago Bears having a number one overall pick to be their starting quarterback going forward. Mac Jones with New England. A little bit of doubt about Tua, but you know that he's still steady enough that he's got a, a chance. And obviously a very good offense, put up good numbers when he was healthy last year. Jordan Love, he may get a chance to be a starter in the National Football League for the Green Bay Packers. But 2019, Kyler Murray. Yes, he's going to be the Arizona Cardinals starter. They're building that team around him. But are you, are you questioning whether it's working? Cliff Kingsbury came in there as the head coach. He is now gone. Jonathan Gannon takes over. Is the a different connection with a different offense and a different head coach and a different offensive coordinator going to work with Kyler Murray? Daniel Jones, does he return to the Giants? Likely. They'll likely work something out. He had his best season in what is year number four, right after the Giants didn't pick up his fifth-year option. Uh, you know, sadly, we lost Dwayne Haskins in a in a in a sad accident when he was attempting to to uh, make a contribution to the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's going to go into history as an incomplete. Never really got himself going with Washington. You know, the coach didn't really seem like he was on board with the draft pick, which. Um, is a big deal, especially since the coach is still there and Ron Rivera. And, you know, there's nothing you could say about Dwayne Haskins other than being just a a sad story. Uh, A quarterback that was drafted perhaps a little too high, didn't get it much of a chance to play in Washington, was going to maybe get a shot to compete in Pittsburgh, and then dies tragically in an accident. But you go back to the draft of 2018, and there's Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and uh, obviously, Josh Allen was a good pick, but Josh Rosen was in that same draft going number 10 to the Arizona Cardinals. Lamar Jackson, who we'll talk about in a little bit, um, as he uh, tries to be the second player in NFL history to get a fully guaranteed contract. Mitch Trubisky went to the Bears number 2 in 2017. Of course, Pat Mahomes went in the same draft number 10 to Kansas City. To Sean Watson, 12 to Houston. And then you go back to 2016 when Jarrett Goff and Carson Wentz went 1-2. and two. Paxton Lynch was taken 26 by the Denver Broncos that year. 2015, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, 1-2. and two. Are either one of those guys going to be starters in the league this year? I'm pretty sure they won't be. Blake Bortles, who just retired, was number 3 overall in 2014 with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Johnny Manziel went 22 overall with the Cleveland Browns. Teddy Bridgewater, who has still managed to collect a paycheck in the National Football League up through this year, went 32 to the Minnesota Vikings. 2013 draft. Absolutely no quarterback talent in that draft. I remember it loud and clear. And the Bills still selected E.J. Manuel, number 16 overall. And then you go back to what was a good quarterback draft in 2012 with Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin, of course, you know, his sad uh, injuries, plague in his career, despite all of that talent that he had. And Ryan Tannehill, who's still in the league, went number eight overall. 2011, Cam Newton was an MVP, a Super Bowl um, appearing quarterback, went one overall. Jake Locker went number eight to Tennessee. Blank Gabbert went 10 to Jacksonville. And Christian Ponder who was very quickly out of the league, went number 12 overall to the Minnesota Vikings. My point is, beware. I understand the need for the quarterback position for you to fill it in the NFL, but a lot of times it's filled with dreams as opposed to going through true logic. Now, I expect more than ever that teams that are 
um, considering taking a quarterback in the first round are going to do their due diligence. Um, I think a lot more emphasis has been on character and leadership as opposed to just being that dude. Can that dude play your offense? Can he score points? Can he get the ball to the skill position players? And yes, it's important. Can he lead the offense? Can he be the leader? Can he be somebody that you're going to put the number, the letter C on their jersey and say they're going to be the captain running this team going forward? Um, I'm confident that that type of due diligence is done. But if you look back at the last five or so years, the last 10 years in the NFL, there's been a lot of mistakes. There's been a lot of first-round picks in regards to quarterbacks in the National Football League that have not panned out. And I'm pretty sure that's going to happen again this year. Not because the player fails, but because teams are drafting because of position scarcity as opposed to taking the best players available. Now, speaking of the best players available, I wanted to spend a little time having some fun because I don't think we're going to get into a lot of diehard football discussion for a while. Thinking about some potential free agent quarterbacks or some quarterbacks that could be on the move. And I'm going to put them in some homes right now. You think of the likes of Aaron Rodgers and you know that how that saga is going to play out like it has over the last couple of years. Last couple of years, it seemed like he was going to be out of Green Bay. The result was he, he was back this past year, got a huge contract. This year, hey, maybe the Packers might be done with him. And I, I think they are going to move on. And I could see Aaron Rodgers playing for the New York Jets, kind of following in his uh, success, his uh, prior uh, quarterback's uh, decision down the road, but going directly to the Jets as opposed to Brett Favre, who went from the Vikings to the Jets after Green Bay. But I could see Aaron Rodgers playing with the New York Jets. All of a sudden, the emphasis is on win now. And they could afford to pay the quarterback because they have all the other important players, the Sauce Gardeners, the Brees Halls, the, um, you know, you look at the guys on defense that they drafted in the early part of the last couple of years, those guys are on rookie-scale contracts. You could afford to have Aaron Rodgers making $50 million on your roster. And obviously the expectation with the Jets is going to be pretty high. Derek Carr, uh, certainly linked to the Jets as probably a uh, 1A or a plan B if Rodgers ends up going elsewhere. And I could see him going to New Orleans. I think it would be a very good spot for him. You know, they really, they, they wanted to have a successor to Drew Brees, and it hasn't worked out. Jameis Winston's got all the talent in the world. It, it just, he, he just hasn't taken the reins there. Part of it's because I believe Sean Payton isn't there anymore. You know, does it carry that magic as that offensive uh, wizard that he is? And I think Carr, his experience, the expectations with New Orleans, being a team that probably in its mind feels like it should have made the playoffs last year, similar to the Jets, I think see him making a big splash. Now, what does that leave for Las Vegas? And you know, this is where there, it may be a little bit of a disappointment because I think there certainly is a little bit of a drop-off. Um, can they get themselves involved in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes? Because I really do think there's a good possibility the Ravens move on from them. Because they're going to they're get a lot of attention. A lot of teams are going to look at Lamar Jackson and say, hey, this is an upgrade over the guy that I have. And that's why I could see Lamar Jackson going to Tennessee. Because you got a general manager there and Rand Carthen who is going to think of what it means for him to be in the position that he is. He's going to be expected to move the needle with Tennessee, their owner, 
has made it clear the expectation is to win down there. He's got a very good track record. He's going to be expecting to win now as opposed to later. And Ryan Tannehill was a good quarterback. But Lamar Jackson's going to be able to put them over the top. That dual running threat with him and Derrick Henry, I think if you um, can increase a little bit of talent on an offensive line, find some way, maybe through the draft, you may have to give up your number one this year to get Lamar Jackson. But the Titans... The expectation for that team is going to go through the roof if you put Lamar Jackson in there and give him a contract. Give him $180 million guaranteed and fully guaranteed. Five years, $180, you want to backload it, frontload it, whatever you want to do, give the guy his money. Uh, the one doubt, the one little issue that I have with Lamar Jackson, did he, did he choose not to play at the end of last year? Now, he had the right to. You know, his team didn't believe enough in him to give him that guaranteed money that he claims and feels that he deserves. Maybe he slowed down his progress and could have been on the field when the Baltimore Ravens were going out there and winning games. And I think that's part of the reason why the Ravens may be looking to move on from him. So where does that leave Las Vegas if Rodgers is with the Jets and if Derek Carr is with New Orleans and Lamar Jackson is in Tennessee? I'm thinking Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, you got Josh McDaniels, the connection there between him, the two of them in New England. You got Jared Stidham there. I think the Raiders are going to be focusing on different type of positional needs that they have. And to me, the Los Angeles Chargers aren't a runaway with anything. The Denver Broncos took a huge step back last year. You you could tell me Sean Payton's going to make a difference all you want. They still got Russell Wilson coming off his worst year. They still have the results that they had in the 2022 season, which was nowhere near what the expectations were. I think the Raiders could do well without going out there and getting Aaron Rodgers. And maybe there is enough confidence that Garoppolo could run that offense, put enough points on the board for the Raiders to be able to be successful. Geno Smith's going to be a free agent. I could see him remaining in Seattle. There's too much of a connection there. This is a guy that sat behind Russell Wilson for a handful of years, knows Pete Carroll's system. He came out there, he proved himself. He's going to look forward to getting paid. If if the deals are around the same, I, I I would be I would be surprised if he took somebody else's money if it were around the same as Seattle's. So I'm thinking about a couple other potential free agents or players, quarterbacks moving on. I could see Tannehill going to Baltimore in a Lamar Jackson trade. I could also see the Ravens signing Jameis Winston and letting the two of them go at it and compete for the job down there. Baker Mayfield, I could see him going to Indianapolis. Carson Wentz, Miami. Matt Ryan, if he wants to come back, if he's playing this year. I could see him backing up Jordan Love in Green Bay. And then Tyrod Taylor, who I I really think is a very underrated quarterback, a guy that could start in this league. I think the perfect fit for him is right behind Sam Howell and the Washington Commanders. I could see C.J. Stroud going to Indianapolis. Bryce Young going to Houston. And reluctantly, Will Levis to Carolina and Anthony Richardson to Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay will have Richardson and Kyle Trask competing for the job. Trask will probably get a good chance to get some PT this year. And, hey, maybe Richardson proves me wrong. Maybe Will Levis proves me wrong. I think it's a good opportunity for some players out there. Perhaps a Sam Darnold. Perhaps a P.J. Walker. Perhaps even a Matt Corral 
in Carolina to get a little bit of an opportunity to play over there. But you know, we'll see how that ends up working out. And see, we'll go back, we'll mark this show, and you can go back to see if I was right with any one of the predictions. Well, today we're jumping into saving sports history, and we'll spend a couple minutes talking about everything that's happened on the day of February 25th. We're going back to the year of 1924, and that was Marie Boyd scoring 156 points in a high school basketball game leading Maryland to a 163-3 victory. 156 of the 163 points scored in this high school basketball game for Marie Boyd in 1924. 1933, Tom Yawkey buys the Boston Red Sox at the time $1.25 million. Muhammad Ali in 1964 knocked out Sonny Liston. And he didn't knock him out straight, but... Liston didn't answer the bell for the seventh round. Ali became the heavyweight champion. 1968, Cal Yarborough won the Daytona 500. 1972, one of the worst trades in baseball history. The Cardinals and the Phillies swapping pitchers that were having contract disputes with their teams. The Phillies sending Rick Wise to the St. Louis Cardinals in exchange for future Hall of Famer Steve Carlton. Pete Maravich scores 68 points on February 25th, 1977. In 1989, Mike Tyson knocked out Frank Bruno in the fifth round. 1994, Phil Rizzuto was selected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And some births on this day. Burt Bell, the first commissioner of the National Football League, one of the worst coaches in the history of the National Football League in regards to winning percentage, but is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame because he was the league's first commissioner. He was born on his day in 1895. Bobby Riggs, longtime tennis champion, was known for his Battle of the Sexes match against Billie Jean King, was born on this day in 1918. Hall of Famer Monty Irvin who was a PBS guest. I really, really enjoyed getting a chance to speak with him before he passed away. Was born on this day in 1919. Longtime college basketball commentator Billy Packer, who we just lost this year in 2023, was born on this day in 1940, as was Baseball Hall of Famer and uh, Chicago Cubs third baseman Ron Santo. James Brown, the CBS uh, football lead studio host, was born on this day in 1951. And Paul O'Neill was born on this day in 1963. Former Green Bay Packers quarterback Don Mikowski was born on this day in 1964. And former NHL forward Troy Millette played for the Devils and the Rangers amongst other teams. I think Ottawa Senators was born on this day in 1970. On this day in 1934, we lost Hall of Fame manager, one of the best managers in the history of Major League Baseball, John McGraw, uh, Smokey Joe Williams, dominant pitcher in uh, the Negro Leagues, passed away on this day in 1951. Former heavyweight champion Jersey Joe Walcott passed away on this day in 1994. And former... Uh, NBA and college coach Dick Versace passed away on this day last year in 2022. 
This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. You can check out the Past Ball Show, whether it's Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music, obviously videos on YouTube. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. Now they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude who played the dude disguised as another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if, if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.